Hello, New Life Downtown. Well, we've come to the end of our eight reflections on Romans 8. This is the eighth and final installment. We've covered so much ground through this. We've talked about how we're free from condemnation. We've talked about how we're filled with the spirit of resurrection. We've talked about what it means to be children of God. We've talked about the groaning and waiting and praying and patience and hope. We've talked about what it means to be conformed to the image of his son and to be glorified and restored. And now maybe the question is, how do we respond to this? If all of this is so amazing and such remarkable good news, how are we to live in light of that? What are we to conclude? Paul, anticipating that question, begins to wrap up this section this way, Romans 8 verse 31. What then shall we say to all this? If God is for us, who is against us? God, after all, did not spare his own son. He gave him up for us all. How will he not, how then will he not with him freely give all things to us? This is a remarkable way to kind of begin the concluding section here because Paul says, look, if you step back and look at this, look at what God in Christ has already done for us, freed us from condemnation, made us children of God, restored us to our identity and our vocation and our purpose, our authority. Why would we ever doubt the goodness of God? Why would we ever doubt his heart toward us? And yet, this is what we are so prone to do. In fact, one way of understanding the original sin in the Garden of Eden was a doubt about the goodness of God. The serpent begins to sow the seed of doubt in Adam's ear when he says, did God really say, or when he says it to Eve, says, did God really say? In other words, is God really good? Does God really want you to have this? Maybe he doesn't want you to be like God. And if you think about that sin in the garden, what they should have said to the serpent is, hang on, we don't need something else uh, so that we can become like God. We've already been made in the image of God. They already had what they thought they needed to grasp for. And this is how sin begins for us. We think that God doesn't really want our good. God doesn't really have our happiness in mind or our joy in mind. And so we've gotta go get it. We've gotta go take it. We've gotta go grasp it. If anything good's gonna happen, then we have to be the reason for it. And so we live these lives of little autonomies from God where we break away from God because we're not convinced that he cares. We're not convinced that he's good. We're not convinced that he has our good in mind. And Paul says, look, if he didn't spare his own son, how much more, how will he not then with Christ give all things to us? The Father and the Son together giving us all things. It reminds me of the scene at the end of the story of what we call the prodigal son. It's really a story of the prodigal brothers, if you will. Because the way Luke tells the story in Luke 15, it's a story that it has escalating ratios of lostness, if you will. There's first one out of a hundred sheep that are lost, and then it's one out of 10 coins that are lost. It goes from 1% to 10%. And then he tells a story of two sons, and you, you right away are introduced to the prodigal, the obvious prodigal, and you think, oh yeah, 50% are lost. But even so, that's probably not me, that's someone else. By the time you get to the end of the story, you recognize, wait a minute, both sons leave the house and the father leaves the house to go after both sons. With the prodigal, the father runs out to greet him. With the older brother, the father goes out to beg him to come back in. And when he's trying to persuade him, the father says to the older brother, he says, everything I have is yours. 
You could have had this feast any time. And this is the heart of God for us. Look, we don't need to live our lives as if God is a miser or as if God is angry or as if God is reluctantly blessing you. Paul says by the end of Romans 8, you need to catch a vision of a generous, gracious, merciful God who can't wait to pour out all things, all blessings, all goodness on you. Approach God out of that kind of posture. And then he goes on, verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's chosen ones? If we have been unfaithful, who's going to condemn us? And he says, it is God who declares us in the right. The God who could issue a verdict of condemnation issues a verdict of justification. Who is going to condemn? It is the Messiah, Jesus, who has died, or rather has been raised who is at God's right hand and also prays on our behalf. Paul is saying that, look, the only one who could stand as our judge ends up being our advocate. And not only our advocate, but our substitute, our substitutionary death, the one who died in our place. In Jesus, we find that the judge is indeed our advocate and indeed our substitute. Some years ago, my wife and I were uh, visiting in England and visiting some different friends in England and, and uh, we, we went to an old church and on the wall of the old church was a piece of art that, that stood above the altar. It would have been where if you're in a non-denominational church like we are, it would have been the back of the stage, if you will. It would have been what everyone looks at. But the art was kind of scrubbed out and you could vaguely make out what had been there and it, it looked like it had been whitewashed. It's often sometimes said that the reformers whitewashed these paintings because they hated art. That may have been true in some cases. But in this instance, it wasn't art that they were against. They were against a false depiction or a misrepresentation of Jesus. You see, the art that had been on that wall was a picture of Jesus on a throne, the throne of judgment, but with anger in his eyes, condemning people to hell. And you saw this scene of flames and babies being thrown into the, just this horrible image. And, and to us, we think, how would that ever inspire worship? Well, I think St. Paul might have wondered the same thing. Paul's saying, look, this is not the vision of the judge. You're supposed to have an angry judge who can't wait to cast people down, but rather a judge who loves us so much that he ends up pleading for us, being our advocate, in fact, dying in our place. And so finally now we get to these final sentences of Romans 8 where Paul says, who shall separate us from the Messiah's love? Suffering or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As the Bible says, because of you, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep destined for slaughter. Paul's talking about the hardship of being an apostle. And then in verse 37, no, in all these things, we are completely victorious through the one who loved us. I am persuaded you see that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor the present, nor the future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God in King Jesus our Lord. The separation is over. The verdict is in. God loves you. God has done everything necessary to bring you back into his house, to welcome you in, to give you a seat at the table, to say you are loved, you're a child of God, you're restored to his image. Now live this way, live with that kind of confidence and assurance. I think about Paul who spent the first part of his life 
persecuting the church, thinking he was living out a zeal, and yet the resurrected Christ stopped him in his tracks. The resurrected Christ in his love sustained Paul through suffering and persecution. The love of God kept Paul singing and praying. Friends, maybe the fitting end to our whole series on Romans 8 is to invite you to reflect on the love of God, to let it move from just being an event to being an experience, something that you taste and see and know that the Lord is good. And maybe in those moments where our experience wanes, and just as Paul's talking about, look, in hardship and in suffering and in persecution, when my experience doesn't say to me that I am loved by God, I can still go back to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The event, the Christ event, demonstrates the love of God, and the Holy Spirit helps us experience the love of God. So friends, be rooted and grounded in this love. Know that nothing could ever take you away from the love of our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So be blessed now in Jesus' name.